morning. Alright, uh, let's see. I don't think we've got any children's church age. Children, we've got one. We're going to go. Alright, children's church, Donnie Glenn. And so we do. I forgot we do have one other than the Zeke man. So. Yeah, how can I forget? Alright. Got Miss Emma back there too. That's one I had forgotten. So good to see everybody this morning. If you want to go ahead and mark in your uh, in your hymnals, number 31, Drifting Too Far From The Shore, we'll use that as our hymn of invitation. Again, I'd like to welcome everybody out this morning. If you're logging into Facebook Live or onto YouTube uh, later on, we want to welcome you as well. And we're happy to have everybody here with us this morning. It's always a a privilege to sharing God's word with you for me uh, as well. Uh, over the course of uh, the weekend so far, the Saturday in particular, I was I was up and uh, doing some things for Mama. I got her Christmas tree out and put it up. And while she was while she was uh, I was doing that, she was watching some Christmas movies, and I uh, kind of was watching back and forth as I was busy doing my my duties there and it was a Dolly Parton movie where they uh, uh, she was being raised up I think it was the coat of many colors was the name of this one and, and I didn't realize that she had been raised up in, in such a modest home it was set in the 50s there in Sevierville and uh, one point in that movie uh, her daddy ended up going and living out in the barn because of some difficulty he and his wife were having and, and I've known some people that's chose to live in a barn uh, for a short time and myself included I've been threatened with having to go to live in a barn here recently so uh, uh, I don't think a barn is the first choice for any of us uh, to live especially if it's occupied with animals uh, and that uh, was part of this morning's sermon is the question were you raised in a barn I was asked that question when I was a kid if I'd left the door open uh, when I go outside and uh, I wasn't raised in a barn I was raised near a barn though uh, but certainly that's what we're going to look at this morning if you recall last week we looked at the four names that Jesus was referred to uh, in the uh, account of his birth and the importance of all of those names and if you recall during that sermon last week I mentioned that the wise men had met them at the house and because at that point Joseph had left or moved his family uh, into more suitable arrangements left the manger the barn and that manger scene many many manger scenes you'll see those around in the yards we've got one uh, I think Rally Road's very well covered in manger scenes I think we got at least three so that's it's good to have that a lot of you have them inside your homes those little figurine type uh, and and uh, I personally think those are probably the closest thing to keep us grounded in the in the Christmas uh, story than anything else that we do is that manger scene I, it's my favorite uh, but I wonder Sometimes if we don't see so many manger scenes that we forget the importance and what that manger and that birth of Christ really uh, represents to us. And that's what I want to look at this morning is, is the manger and, and focusing on just uh, exactly the beginnings of Christ 
uh, as, as a baby here on earth. So if you would turn over to Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to only read one verse and to get us kicked off with our study. Uh, verse 16, Luke chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> and it says, Luke records, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Well, we should know that those that came in haste were the shepherds. And they came in haste because the angels told them what to be looking for. And that would be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. If you remember from my Easter sermon a couple of years ago, we ex I explained to you about the familiarity that these shepherds would have had with these caves or mangers as we know, or, or barns as we would call them generically today, but they were actually uh, most likely, instead of a structure like we have here, uh, they utilized a cave or a cliff. And they used those types of series because it was natural for them, so they didn't have to have any uh, expense to put them together. So, uh, but this is where the the shepherds that were raising the, the the sheep around Bethlehem would have been raising the temple lambs for sacrifice. And that word swaddling clothes that the angel uses would have been something familiar with them because if you recall, we, we studied in that study about how that the shepherds would bind those lambs so that they wouldn't harm themselves because if they had a blemish or a spot, then they would not be allowed to be used in the temple sacrifice. So what the angel tells these shepherds that he meets in the fields is something that, that they're familiar with and they can understand and identify with immediately because it's part of what they do. And therefore, he sends them to the manger, probably where they had laid lambs before, to see this child, to see this gift, to see what the proclamation of glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men was all about. Have you ever considered about the fact that Jesus was born in what we'll call a barn, even though it's probably a cave or under a cliff. You ever thought about the Son of Man, the Son of God, coming in that manner? Imagine trying to explain someone that doesn't have a relationship or doesn't, is not familiar, maybe they wasn't raised up in church or anything, they're not really familiar with the story of Jesus, and trying to explain to them the logic of God's son being born in a barn. There is no logic to it. The king of kings' first bed was made of straw, and that's how God designed it. Now, we as Christians understand that. We understand that God's ways are, are not our ways. And if they were, what would we do? We would, we would set him up like a king. All the finest things that, that money could buy, no, no expense would be spared. But God's ways are not our ways. God chose a different approach, completely different approach. You ever wonder why? And if, you, if, you, if we're blessed enough to have someone that doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ during this season of the year say, well, why would, 
why would he send his son to be born in a barn amongst animals sleeping in a feed trough? Well, I hope that with this study this morning that maybe we can supply some of those answers. That maybe they could have a better understanding about the great love that God has for us. And one of those reasons that we'll start is that I believe that God wanted to identify with our struggles by having Jesus' birth in this manner. The Bible tells us that the Word became flesh. If you recall from last week, Emmanuel, God with us. And there he is in a manger. God knows what it's like to be human. Well, how is that? Well, think just about it for just a minute with me. Mary and Joseph about to become parents. The excitement that surrounds that event we can identify with, whether it was a child or a grandchild or maybe a niece, a nephew. At some point in time, we can identify with the excitement of a new life. We want everything to be just right, don't we? We have to have the the uh, nursery set up just right. Everything has to, we have to have diapers and wipes and all of the things that you need to make the baby comfortable and clean. We buy clothes and we buy all the necessary items that we find so that the baby would have its best advantage. Do you think Mary was any different? Do you think that Mary wanted anything less than the best that she could provide for her child that was about to be born? They had already been uprooted because of this decree that they're going to have to go back to Bethlehem uh, so that they could be counted in the tax or the census. And she was very near, obviously, having a baby. We, we don't, and we know that. Anytime you have someone, uh, a lady that's about to give birth, you, you certainly don't plan on going a long trip away from your doctors and your family and all of those that you're familiar with and all of those that you would be comfortable with and look to to help during this time. But that's exactly what happened. She was uprooted, her and Joseph, and they had to go away from their home, away from their friends, away from their family, to a place where they had family, but they were probably not close. But certainly not something to be desired right at the time that she's her due date is here, we would say today. And at a minimum, they had hoped, because we know the, the Bible account tells us that they, they sought out lodging in the inn. But because of the number of people that had to come for the census, the place was full. No room, as the scripture says, no room for them in the inn. So what does that leave for a young couple hopeful about the birth of their first child, far away from home, far away from family and friends and those that would help during this difficult time? It leaves them in a barn. You think they were disappointed? I do. I think they were probably confused, just like any of us would be. I mean, this is the best that we can do. They may have been even heartbroken that I'm going to have to have my first child in this barn. And instead of laying it in a bed that maybe I have prepared at home, I'm going to have to use this feed trough with some clean hay in it to lay my child. And they knew who this child was. And even so, that may have increased their disappointment 
So God knows what disappointment is. Well, I think the manger, and this shows very well. After they didn't find that room in the end, disappointment had to set in for them. Jesus, Joseph even, we've talked about Mary, but think about Joseph, men. I mean, we like to pride ourselves in thinking that we provide for our families and do what's necessary to make sure that everyone has what they, what they need, they're safe, they're comfortable. Imagine how he would have felt thinking, this is the best that I can do, is a stable. So they had disappointment all around. What about us? Think about that. You ever had a family member let you down? You ever felt like that you were being treated unfairly? I wonder how many of us feel like that life has turned out different than what we had hoped. All of us qualify for that one, don't we? We don't. We, we have these great hopes. We have great dreams. We have great aspirations to do things. And life doesn't always turn out that way. In fact, most of the time, life doesn't turn out to look like anything like what we had pictured our life would be. God understands that. God understands that, and I think the manger is proof of that. I think that Mary and Joseph, their first child being born in that manger, is proof that God understands our struggles. God understands our hopes, our dreams, our disappointments. And I believe that you couldn't have a better object lesson than what he provided in that. So I want us to be encouraged, especially at a time when we find so much to be discouraged about. God is not far from us. He is near. He understands our struggles. He understands our hurts, our disappointments. But he is only a prayer away. And let us always remember that during these times that we're going through. The manger shows us that, I believe. And it also shows us an example of humility. We've heard the saying, do as I say, not as I do. And we've seen the example of that <laughs> really on the news the past couple of weeks, especially around Thanksgiving and, and how some uh, uh, leaders gave mandates that they didn't follow for themselves. God didn't just tell us that how we should live what we would have to do to serve him. He actually did that. It's called the Old Testament. It's called the Old Law, wasn't it? And we didn't do a real good job, or they didn't do a real good job in following that. So what was necessary? An example. That example was Jesus Christ. That example came right down to us in living flesh to show us how to live. A humble example. He didn't tell us to live how to live from a throne in heaven. God sent him here to show us how to live in very humble beginnings. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, and I think it's a good reminder for us, though we may not associate this very much with the Christmas story. But let's think about what Paul is writing here, chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, we'll, we'll read. Let's think about what Paul is writing here to the church at Philippi in relation to Jesus, 
his birth, his life, his example. Verse 3, he begins and says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And what Paul's describing here to the church as he writes to them and also to us today is that attitude, that heart of humility. Humility, always thinking of someone first before we thought of ourselves. In fact, that is the preferred thing as he says. Think of others first. Think of others' needs rather than your needs. Think of others' conditions rather than your condition. And let us think about that today. We, we, we are in the difficult time. He calls, God calls for us to turn from living only for ourselves. But what are we right now? Part of that mode of survival that we're in, we're living for only ourselves. Our own protection, our own freedoms, maybe we could say. But what is it that the attitude of Christ says? Think about others above ourselves. Think about others' needs before our own needs. Because what did Christ do? What was the example that he left for us to follow? He thought about others' needs before his own needs. He thought about being pleasing to the Father rather than himself. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he said, Father, if you will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thy will. It's that humility that the manger scene sets out for us too. It's that being humble, the example of humility that we need that God sent to us as well. And from the very first breath that Jesus drew, we see humility. So let us continue to follow this example that Christ gave. Let us strive to follow it in a better way. Let us put others' needs ahead of our own needs. Let us strive to do not my will, but thy will, so that we might be an example of a follower of Christ. Ask yourself, how am I doing following Christ's example of being humble? He also, I believe, wanted to demonstrate his power. Rob, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How is it that God demonstrates his power in, in the most humble of beginnings? Well, remember I said earlier, God's ways are not our ways, didn't I? 
All throughout the scriptures, do we not see God using the weak or the unimpressive to accomplish the things that are for his purpose? To accomplish the things that are his plan? Remember Moses? Moses objected because of why? He couldn't, he wasn't good speaking. So he gave him Aaron to, to speak, but he had the brave heart, so to speak. God always used the weaker, the, the things that make no sense to us in a worldly view to accomplish his will, just like he chose a manger. Well, no one could say whenever Jesus was born, look what money could do. Even if they took a lot of money on their trip to Bethlehem with them, it didn't do them any good, did it? Of course, the scriptures doesn't indicate that. Doesn't indicate that at all. But what I'm saying is this. They can't say that Jesus was born of privilege at all. They can't say that uh, he was famous. And that's one thing that I think one of the good things that has come about this past year. I think the sports figures... I think the movie stars and the celebrities realize, just as we have realized, that you know what? We can do without them. They're not as important as some other things in our lives. But you know, there was a time that they were right up there. There was a time not too long ago that you could get a, uh, you could get a packed Rupp Arena for a basketball game, but you couldn't pack out a church. In the name of Jesus Christ. But I think that shifted a little. Just like it shifted a little during 9-11. And we were felt as a nation we were under attack. And we went back kind of to our roots. Church attendance went up for a time. And then as things began to get further away from that date. Uh, church attendance began to go back to pre-9-11 times. And, and I would say that if we were able to have uh, more people in our churches, that I'd say church attendance would, would be up a little today. But my hope and my prayer is that we don't go back to pre-COVID-19 times, that we realize that, you know, the things that we have given up, the things that have been taken from us, they weren't important anyway, and they've opened up to me the things that are important. And that's what I'm going to concentrate on. So that's something that we all need to think about. The vaccine, we have great hope in that. We have great hope that it's going to bring things to an end. That we're going to go back to normal. Well, what normal do we want to go back to? That's what we have to ask ourselves as people, as Christians. What normal do I want to go back to? God shows us his power. Because of the fact that he brought his son and put him in the most humble of beginnings, there was no way that it could be said that he was born with the, as we might say today, with the silver spoon in his mouth. And as I said Wednesday night, this virus thing has leveled the playing field. And all that's left to see is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says this, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and things which are despised, God hath chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. No flesh should glory, or that no flesh should glory in his presence. God uses things that no one would ever imagine that could be used to bring about his plan, but that's exactly what he uses so that no flesh could take credit for it. No great mind could take credit for it. And that's what we have to remember. That all of us, myself included, I thought to myself there was no way that God could ever use me to, to, to do anything good for his church. But that changed. And I hope I've done some good. But I never would have imagined 25 years ago that I would have been standing here. I never would have imagined 30 years ago that I would have even been a Christian. I was raised in a church. I knew all the things that you were supposed to do, but that still didn't mean I ever had any confidence that I could be used. That goes to show that God has a plan for each and every one of us. No matter what our purpose is, it's just as important. No matter what our calling is, God uses it for a purpose. You may diminish your importance yourself, but that's wrong, folks, to diminish that you are not important because it's important that God used a manger. God, it's important that God used a little handful of straw. It's important that God used shepherds in this story this account of his birth of his son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So your life is important. Your life has a purpose, and God wants to use you for his purpose. And the, he has the power. He has the power to take a child that was born in a manger to show each of us how to live and how to serve him and to serve others. And ultimately, how he has the power to take his son and place him on a cross for a sacrifice for sin so that we may not have to pay that account. That's power. That's real power. Giving people orders, telling them you can do this and, and you can't do that and not following what they say and saying this is important and this is not important, that's not power. That's just some kind of authority. What God has is power. God has the power to change men's hearts. God has the power to change men's minds. And it started in that manger. God wanted to identify with our struggles. God wanted to give us an example of humility. And God wanted to demonstrate his power. And he uses the manger to do that. And all of those are great reasons, but not as great as the last one that we cover. God wanted to show his love. Because that's what Christmas is all about. His love. And the scripture that I picked out for this particular slide is John 3.16. One that we are all very familiar with. But we don't oftentimes think about that scripture in Christmas. 
that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, or his only begotten, whatever version you have, son, that who should ever, whosoever would believe upon him should not, have, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what came down to that manger. That's when love was born is when Christ was born. When the example of God's love to us and how that we can love others was in that manger. Amongst those cows and, and goats and, and donkeys and, and sheep and whatever other animals that they had gathered in that night. That's where love was defined. And that's what was done in that manger. Jesus gave up everything so that he could show us how much God loves us. And let's think about that for ourselves. Have you ever given up something so that someone else could have something? Have you ever worked a little overtime so that you could provide for your family a little more? Have you ever looked and even maybe reached for something on the shelf and decided, nope, I'll pass on that because I want to, and you fill in the blank. What motivates us to do those types of things? It's love. Love's what motivates us to sacrifice of ourselves so that someone else may have something. So what motivates God to send his son to be born in a barn? to live an example of a life that would be pleasing to him as the father and to also those that he comes in contact and to ultimately end up suffering a death on a cross. What motivates God to do that so that we may have something that we cannot purchase, we cannot earn for ourselves and that's salvation by accepting Jesus Christ as our savior that gift, we associate gifts with Christmas, but the gift that was given was the hope of life. From hearing the word and believing who Jesus is, repenting of our sins and confessing Christ as Savior, being buried with him in the likeness of his death and baptism to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, raised a new creation, serving faithfully, following in the footsteps of Christ, following the example of Christ until either we're called away or Christ returns. Maybe you've done those things. Maybe the things that's going on this past year have got you caught up and it's right, a lot of people are. You're caught up and you're distracted and you have forgotten about the simplicity and the love of the manger. The humility and the power and the fact that God understands our struggles and that God is near. Maybe that's you. Let me encourage you to rededicate yourself this season, this Christmas season, but let me also encourage everyone Everyone, that's you that's watching uh, on either Facebook or YouTube. 
when we get that spirit back inside of us and we realize that God understands our struggles and he loves us more than we can ever imagine, let's not put that spirit away when we put our Christmas decorations away. When we pull down these beautiful uh, decorations and, and flowers and stuff, let's not tuck that feeling and that realization that God loves us and God has a plan for us and God is not far from us. Let's not tuck that away and wait to pull it out the day after Thanksgiving next year. Let's let that live in our hearts all throughout the year because I believe that's the example that Christ would have us to follow. That we have that same kind of love and that same kind of faith 365 days a year. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Drifting too far from the shore. And that could describe you if you've never accepted Christ or you've let the cares of this world pull you away. We're going to sing the first and the third verse of this hymn. If you have a decision to make, would you come, please, as we stand as we stand and sing?